Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Movies, where we talk about the Indian genre films you've never heard of, the ones you can't hear enough about, and the ones you never want to hear about again. My name is Nathaniel Muir. Joining me on these ongoing adventures is the host who loves seeing monkeys massacre people. That's an apt description. I'm Regina. Nice to join everybody. Uh, welcome back to the show. This is well, like a fourth in a row now or something like that. It's quite possible. Maybe. Yeah, yeah it's about a month for you. You sound super excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I blew all my excitement talking about monkey massacres. So <laughs> ah, there you go. That, 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 that takes a lot out of a person. So one of the things that we've talked about on this show a lot, and actually you and I, a few weeks ago, we talked about Halloween and the new trilogy that's coming up. So we've talked a lot about horror franchises. One franchise that has come back, uh, came back last year, is VHS. Uh, so I guess I'll start there. Were you a fan of the VHS series? I know you saw VHS 94, but are you a fan of the VHS series in general? Um, I like the first one. Um, I know I missed, I think I missed the one before VHS 94. Yeah, I think that's VHS viral, maybe? Yeah. Is that, is that a title? That is one, right? I think so. And I, I, I didn't see it. I just know that I've seen the original and I've seen VHS 94. And I'm looking forward to seeing VHS 99 because it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, the VHS tech bring, if you, uh, VHS brings in a lot of things if you're a fan. There's the found footage aspect of it, which is always fun. It's an anthology, which is really cool. And then it also showcases different um, directors and writers. Uh, I've, I, the, as with any other anthology, hit or miss. So I've, I've enjoyed the VHS series as a whole. I thought VHS 94 was a return to form because the one before that wasn't all that hot. I heard that. And so like, I mean, like I really enjoyed like the, the first VHS really grabs your attention, right? You got that really crazy story with the, the hotel room and the guys. And then the um, succubus one that I want to say they actually made a standalone film about. They did, right? I want to see yeah, that happen. That one's very popular. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, so I don't know. If I, if I did watch the one afterwards, I, I, I don't remember it very well. <laughs> but um, I do like the first one quite a bit, though. So, I mean, but I don't I don't think I've seen those. I think what's happened is I've heard people talk about the second one, tell me parts of it, and I'm like, well, it doesn't sound as good as the, as the first one. So it kind of stays in my memory that way, but... Um, I did, for the most part, like VHS 94, though. Yeah, VH VHS 94 was a really fun return to form. Uh, it had a, the wraparound, I think, was actually the weakest part of the story, but it was still fun. But the individual stories in there were really good. They had the first one that was kind of like a nod to the Alabama leprechaun. And then the last one that was very topical. And then in the middle, they had the one set in the uh, funeral home that was very much like a scary stories to tell in the dark type of thing. Uh, just a little more grotesque, but uh, I enjoyed it. Um, that went to sh Shutter. BHS 99 also coming to Shutter. This is what might worry some people a little bit. Uh, VHS 94 just came out last year. VHS 99 is already coming out. It's going to be um, September, I want to say, of this year. That's a really quick turnaround on a sequel. It is, um, but I'm kind of looking forward to it either way. I mean, you, but you're right, though. It does kind of make you a little bit nervous as to what kind of sequel we're going to be getting here. But um, it's 99, you're going to get all kinds of Y2K kookiness, I'm sure. So I'm looking forward to that. Saw the article the other day with the lady wearing the 2000 glasses. I was like, oh, yeah, that's what a perfect uh, setting, actually, to, to put this in. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense because it's uh, VHS, or excuse me, 1999, 
is around the time when the internet's becoming a little more popular. There's still all the message groups and things like that. So it's not what it is today, obviously. But I would say 99 is probably the tail end of any sort of VHS craze. And I don't mean the franchise. I mean, like people at that point, you're switching over to DVD. Um, yeah. Streaming hasn't come in around yet. Pirates probably right. Pirating is right around the corner, probably. So it's the tail end of it's probably the latest date that you can do a VHS movie. Yeah, I want to say 99 is probably the last time I purchased a VHS of any kind. Yeah, into the 20th century, like you said, Y2K cookiness. Um, the good thing, it is a quick turnaround on a sequel. That being said, these are standalone movies. I mean, they have no connection whatsoever aside from an overarching theme of what they are. So it is a quick turnaround, and it's always worrisome to see sequels come around quickly. That being said, with video game franchises, like, I mean, there's a new Call of Duty like every year. I think this year they're actually taking off. So there's like a new Madden game like every year. So there's something that it doesn't really matter that it's coming around that quickly. There are some good um, filmmakers attached to it, most notably uh, Joseph and Vanessa Winder, who did Deadstream, who both of us were fans of. They're going to be doing one of this story. So that's super exciting. Yeah. And, and you know, I mentioned like they're bringing all these. Uh every story is different from a different perspective. Um, there's different directors involved. So I think that also kind of keeps it fresh too. Like it could just be like from 94, 99, all these ideas were produced at the same time. And now they have time to really like just kind of go through with them. So I, I, I think it's not going to hurt it, to be honest, I, the time frame and its release. I'm really looking forward to the anthology. I mean, I, I like anthologies. You can't help but get excited for anthologies. I will say that I'm a little bit spoiled though, because Mortuary Collection was amazing. And even the wraparound story was amazing. And it was like a perfect anthology. So ever since, and I've kind of been like waiting for something else to kind of like hit that Mortuary Collection spot. Um, yeah, you know, Mortuary Collection was really good at. Anthologies have never gone away, I would say. But um, they've never really been the big thing. I mean, you got Tales from the Dark Side, Twilight Zone back in the day. And then you had like Tales from the Hood and uh, the VHS series coming around. But it's never been like a huge, massive thing. So... I'm super excited to see VHS 99. That is coming to Shudder on October the 20th. So in time for Halloween. Our first movie this week takes us back to 1986. And it's a slasher. And it's set in high school. So this is super stereotypical American slasher. Except it was made in England. Slaughter High is the story of a nerd who is bullied and uh, he gets horribly disfigured um, because this is from 1986, spoiler warning, we are just gonna go all in on this wacky story. So Marty gets horribly disfigured. 10 years later, there's a reunion among all the classmates and they all start dying one by one. So Slaughter High, you and I saw this on Tubi. The score was done by Harry Manfredini, very famous or uh, known for um, the uh, Friday the 13th series. The ch -ch 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 -ch. What did you think of the score he did for this one? Not quite as memorable, huh? Not quite as memorable, no, um, but it, it's a paycheck, I think. <laughs> well, I guess actually you can say that um, it, it's, just as memorable, if not more memorable, but in a much worse way. Yeah, like, I mean, the little melody will stick with you afterwards, but it doesn't have the, it's just nowhere near as ominous as 
And the movie is nowhere near as ominous as a Friday the 13th movie. It, it just doesn't have the same tone. It can't be, but it's not, it, it's a different league, I think, right? <laughs> well, it's it's kind of, it's, it's weird in that. So the Friday the 13th movies, even later when they get a little wackier and he goes to space and he's killing, does awesome kills and sleeping bags and stuff like that. They're never comedy. Like they are straight up horror movies. This movie kind of walks this line where it's, it's a horror movie. It's definitely a horror movie and it gets really gory at times, but it's also really, it it almost is like a comedy horror. Like, like the music that we're talking about, it all takes, it starts on April fools. Actually it takes place on April fools. Uh, They're just set 10 years apart. The music fits April. It's very playful and jokey and very silly. Uh, um, it actually kind of takes away from the horror aspect of the movie. See, now I think about it, I'm feeling like maybe like Manfredini knew what the movie was about. Like he got the tone of the movie because it's a silly movie and the movie doesn't realize how silly it is. <laughs> when we think no, about it, it kind of goes with the movie. You might be right. Like he, he, uh, it definitely, he has the jokey part of it down. And then um, it's funny because it fits an 80s movie in that it has like that, that heavy metal, really, really cheesy heavy metal. Like it's the perfect heavy metal for the horror movie. But then every once in a while, it'll have the do, 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 like just interjected (laughs) into it, which makes no sense in some parts because there's parts where he's, violently murdering like he's dropping cars on people's faces and there's nothing funny about it but it still plays that jokey music it sounds like the kind of music that they play when shaggy and scooby are going to run away but they just stay in place spinning their legs around like it sounds like that kind of sound effect like you're not going to go anywhere (laughs) it sounds exactly like that and actually that's kind of the tone that the music aside that's kind of the tone that the movie has it's a bunch of wacky kids who get in this misadventure uh the killer who shock of shocks I, I the big revelation is that marty's the killer no idea how that's a revelation because literally everybody else dies so it's a really weird thing but he's the killer um but he's wearing like a, a joker mask like with the with the balls the bells on it and stuff like that so he even looks like a villain from scooby-doo like the you know i would have gotten away for it if it wasn't for you meddling kids I learned that uh, John Scudamore, the guy who played Marty Ranson, the the nerd, I learned that that's the only movie he's ever made because he committed suicide like just months after it completed shooting. Oh, so. really? The uh, the casting in this is really interesting in that it's uh, so it takes place. We'll see, the movie it was made in eighty six, so we'll assume that the opening is nineteen seventy six. Uh, it's in. Um, these jocks are messing with marty uh, they seem to be the only i guess 10 kids who are going to this high school and then it jumps ahead to 1986 for their 10-year reunion except they use the exact same actors and they haven't done anything to make them look any different uh, not to say that a person looks completely different between the ages of uh 28 and 18 but you can definitely tell the difference between an 18 year old and a 28 year old. And they did not bother to do anything in this at all. No, in fact, they look like they're 38 years old while they're in high school. So it, it's pretty, it's pretty bonkers. <laughs> the difference um, in the way how they look, but um, I will say this though. So they're the only kids apparently at that school because they don't even bat an eye 
when they're the only people who show up to a reunion later on, like the class is just them. So yeah, <laughs> it's a huge school. Like at the end, um, um, the uh, one of the girls, the main girl, I guess, she's ch- being chased by Mar- Marty and she's running around. She runs up like five or six flights of steps. It is a huge school and there's apparently only 10 kids who attend it, a janitor and a coach. And that's it. And you're right. When they first get to the school and they go into the room where they're all meeting, they have their lockers lined up and they all go to their lockers and they don't say like, well, where's everyone else's locker? Where's who, who's that? It's nothing. It's like the gang's all here. And that's it. It's a really, really weird thing. It makes you think of like on TV, like sitcoms, like Saved by the Bell, how like it's a very self-centered, like sort of like um storyline. Like you got the same kids all the time involved in everything. And it makes no sense why Zach would be doing all these things all the time. I feel like that's what would happen if they were in a slasher movie. It would just revolve around those guys like all the time. Because seriously, it doesn't make a difference like what's going on. It's like they're the only people in the world. They're, it's not, they're not creeped out by anything. It's just like, oh, hey, look, we're back at our old school and it's totally normal that there's just 10 of us here. Well, at least in Saved by the Bell, you always have that dude skateboarding in the background. Like, <laughs> like here you have nothing. Like it's the just those people. In the background. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, nothing going on here. It's really strange. The um it's also a funny setup in that uh even though they don't show everybody um, getting a letter or anything like that, you know that someone has invited them all back to school for, I said, 10-year reunion. Technically, they just say reunion. So it may well be 20 years later, because to your point, they did look like they were in their late 30s. And I believe some of them actually were like in their mid-30s, you said, right? Yeah, I mean, some of the actors. You know, times were different. You know, maybe they were yeah. when they were younger. They've had a hard life. I don't know. Well, not when they were young. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. They they may well have. But um, it's funny in that they they all get invited to go to the school. They go back to the school. The school's obviously closed down. No one's there. It's run down and they think it's a joke. They're blaming each other for it. Instead of leaving, they just decide to hang out. And prank each other because that's what they do. Yeah, yeah. But before they even go inside, they're not pranking each other. <laughs> They're, they're just hanging out and, say, and complaining about being there. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, where are yeah, they there? <laughs> it's kind of funny because, so, Italy, you know, they have they have the giallos there. So, giallos are kind of the template for what became the American slasher. And then slashers are known across the world. And they've kind of, uh, they've, moved, they've um, migrated to other parts of the world. But it seems like the Italian giallos and the American slashers are really the only two places that have it down right. This movie was made in England and it's trying to be a slasher, but it just, it can't even get the simple stuff down. Like why they're in a place, like they have the right idea. Everyone gets mysteriously invited back to this creepy castle type thing, right? Everyone gets invited back to the creepy school. But instead of just having them meet there and be like, oh, well, that's where the no one's here. They just have them hang out in the front of the school and be like, oh, well, that's what's going on yeah they're just drinking beer like it's just like whatever <laughs> yeah it's the strange it's it's really weird writing it kind of and it's hard to watch it and it's a really silly movie and it's really campy and it's low budget and if it wasn't for the full frontal nudity and cussing i would think that this was a tv movie uh because it's so fast-paced and silly it kind of skips big things but um it does ruin the immersion of it and 
with these types of movies, like, you know what you're in for. They're very simple. They're, I mean, they're straight to the point. But even a little thing like, why are they just hanging out there? Like, that takes away from it. And people always make dumb decisions in horror movies. But this isn't even a dumb decision. This is just like, I'm going to sit here and complain. And that's it. Would you believe that three people wrote and directed this movie? Like, I would. <laughs> I absolutely would. Because... The whenever you see a really bad and it's it's especially in horror whenever you see a bad horror movie there's like six writers and four directors (laughs) every single time without fail oh (laughs) yeah it's a whole lot of people it's too many people similar to this cast so as we mentioned there's only 10 people it seems like in this school nine of them are bullies I had so much trouble keeping everything straight in this because you knew the leader was Skippy. You knew who the main girl was because she was the one who like initially pulled the prank on Mara. She got the prank started and all. But all the rest of them, I had no idea what was going on, who was who. You were kind of supposed to be able to equate the older one to the younger one. And um, because there was so many of them, there really, and there, there was no like discerning characteristics between them. No, not at all. The only thing person who stood apart to me was a girl who just could not keep her American accent, like to save her life, who also ended up like wetting herself when she got scared. <laughs> so like, um, that's the only person who stood out to me just for that, that simple reason that I'm like, okay, this is a different character. But for the most part, they were kind of just all melding into one of another. There was no like actual like personality for either one, except that they were just mean. They were just mean and popular, like, but there wasn't any, an attempt at any kind of pathos behind the characters, nothing like that. I mean, so much so that they had two guys who pretty much had the same haircut. They dressed the same. They were plaid shirt, tucked in, like with the top two buttons undone. One was into, uh, to, like, he was like a mechanic type thing. And the other rode in on a motorcycle and instead of parking, just completely fell over. Um, just a really, really weird group of characters. And because you couldn't really tell the characters apart I think it kind of took away from the fun of it because this really should be like one of those I mean the poster is amazing it is super awesome it's a skeleton wearing a graduation cap cap and sunglasses and it says Marty majored in cutting classmates like that's awesome that's really really good stuff but it doesn't live up to that b-movie like fun because you can never get involved in the actual movie. You're always, it's, it's, it's really frustrating. It, yeah, it is frustrating. And I think it's kind of funny. We, we're talking about like the characters are so interchangeable. There is that one character who, between those two guys who look like each other and dress like each other, like <laughs> even, <laughs> it doesn't help that they're like swapping the same woman between them either. Cause like, I don't even think she knows which one's which anymore <laughs> between the characters. But it's just a very ridiculous like setup between it's like um they didn't need that many characters. They clearly only had like the I guess like the cutout, like the I guess like the framework for maybe three characters, and they just kind of like just multiplied them over and over again into this like a like a bunch of clones rolling of each other. Yeah, and it's really funny because the the two guys that you're talking about uh, that that look alike, that it seemed like the 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 woman couldn't tell the difference between them. Or they they literally are like they're 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 both having their time with her, but um, she's married to one and then another one sleeps with her. But there's a scene where she's like, "Oh, you'll protect me," and she's hugging her husband, I guess, or who she thinks is her husband. But another guy reaches down and is like, "Yeah, I'm here for you," and you're kind of like, 
wait, did she grab the wrong person? Or is that foreshadowing to the fact that she actually does want to hook up with this person? And I think that would have been a funny moment had they even bothered to try and like develop like, oh, maybe she likes this guy more than her husband. But it was just like a thing that was thrown in there. So it just doesn't make any sense why it's happening. Yeah, it's just like a throwaway scene. It's just that one part where you get this inkling of an idea that she might like someone else. And then she does end up saying that she likes him. But because before that, you have no inclination you have no reason to think that she would do anything with anybody else it just looks like that the actress didn't know who was who and grabbed the wrong person and the other guy wasn't paying attention to the blocking and he was reaching out for someone who had already <laughs> turned their back on him <laughs> so it's it's a it's it should be silly and it should be funny it's a, it's a really weird thing because things like that would put a movie in a so bad it's good thing but there's so few and far between that it doesn't quite ever reach that level. And um, I mean, let's face it, a movie like this, it shouldn't be frustrating. No, <laughs> definitely shouldn't. <laughs> oh, uh, it does have an ending where, and it's one of the worst possible endings you can do, if not the worst ending that you can do, though there is a little bit of a twist on it. So the entire movie is basically marty has these bullies and they mess with him bad i mean they 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 trick him into stripping down naked in the girls locker room they're taking pictures of him he's new they turn him on his head and they give him a swirly uh and then their next prank involves basically having an explosion go off in a lab that has leads to nitric acid pouring onto his head and um i guess disfiguring him though he really didn't look that bad yeah, I'm guessing it like just supposed to like have burned part of his face off or something like that. And it just really, it didn't really look like anything really, but. Well, he, he didn't look much different than he did. I mean, he was a pretty odd looking person beforehand. He didn't look that much different afterwards. Um, the very end, like they show his skin peeling, I think that they, they put a little more effort into it, but he just looked like he was covering the side of his face at first they disfigure him and then there's kind of a backstory of how he went to a mental home so the bulk of the movie is him running through the school uh just killing off his bullies one by one in very creative ways i i will say that like uh, the kills they they if nothing else the kills are very unique i would say that i i mean that's that's my standout from it the kills were unique some of it was just like really absurd, but still made it fun for me. You get a scene with a girl in a bathtub for no reason. Why is there a bathtub in the school? I don't know. But we have a scene with a bathtub in it, even though we already passed a locker room with showers. <laughs> we have a scene with a bathtub, but right. just to get a girl naked in the tub. Um, so, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a staple of the slasher, especially of the 80s. And um, again, that goes to show how poorly done it is in other countries because um yeah, you're right. That's a staple that the shower scene is super important to horror. You can go back to Psycho for that. But uh, for whatever silly reasons they had women undress in the horror movies of the 80s. Yeah, you can sit there and be like, uh, yeah, they just did that to get her to take her shirt off. But at least there was some reason behind it oh. here. Like you said, it's just like, yeah, there's this bathtub in this school that's been closed down for decades apparently um i might as well take a bath in it and i'm I mean, sorry getting your clothes dirty is not enough to get to jump in a tub in a school where crap's going down already and That's someone's stomach has just already started why would you jump in the bathtub and see usually when you have sex in the woods and you 
go into the shower. It's because you're not aware that the danger is happening. That's what exactly, exactly. This is moments after uh, basically a chest burster has come out of somebody in, in very graphic detail. <laughs> and she's alone in this creepy dungeon-like high school. So very weird decision. Um, it's, again, horror is filled with dumb decisions. There's jokes about it and stuff, but it's like they, someone told them, hey, write a slasher like they do in America. And someone gave their idea of it. And like you said, like there's, act, and you mentioned there's one girl who couldn't keep her American, her American accent. There's multiple people in this who had trouble keeping their accents down. I mean, it would go from American to British to this weird American trying to sound British type of thing that it was, it was a very, that, that was actually one of the more humorous things about the movie. Yeah, I, I found it kind of delightful, that part. I found it a little bit endearing with the accent. It was just a bit ridiculous, especially like that one guy who had to like resort to some weird tough guy persona just to kind of accomplish the American accent. Yeah, he had to do the whole like I'm a wild and crazy guy because yeah, yeah, <laughs> he just he couldn't sound like an American, so he had to act like an American, I guess. And uh, so going back to how this movie ends, um, Marty's going throughout the school. People are dying in really creative ways, um, chest bursters and dropping uh, tractors on people's faces, hanging them by nooses, like uh, pretty cool. Some of these shots are actually really, really cool. It turns out it's all a dream, but it's not the dream of a victim. It's actually it's actually him dreaming what he's going to do once he gets out of the insane asylum, which he does. He escapes from the, the, the movie ends with him impersonating a nurse and I assume going on to film the sequel for this movie. Um, I hate the dream ending. I didn't so much mind it here just because they put a little bit of a different twist on it. Yeah, I, I didn't like it. So here's my thing. We already have the other April Fool's movie where it's all like the ending is also like, ah, oh, none of it happens. Like, and then right. we also have it in this one too. And it's just like, what's up with New um, April Fool's movies doing this? I guess because it's the pranks on us. But speaking of April Fool's also, in England, our days only 12 hours instead of 24 hours because their April Fool's only lasted till noon. Yeah, and it started at midnight and ended at That was the official April Fool's hours in this movie. Um, I, that's one possibility. I'm <laughs> thinking that whoever was, because you mentioned there's multiple writers on this film. I'm thinking one of the writers was one of those, like, I know everything guys. And they're writing it and they're like, okay, this is going to have to be from midnight to midnight. So we're going to have to kind of figure out how to put a lot of filler in there. And he he was like, no, no, no. In America, you know, on that side of the pond, they do things differently. It starts at midnight, but it actually ends at noon. And the other writers are like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not even a full day. I know somebody. I have a friend who's an American. I'm telling you. That's he's, he's a know-it-all edgy guy. He's like, um pagans only celebrated for half a day not the full day <laughs> and they're like a true a true april fool knows when to end his day very interesting but i will say this like because that towards the end because that, that gets introduced very late into the film like i think it's like in the last 10 or 15 minutes that they even bring that plot point up um, and how they figured that out i don't even know yes the initial incident happened on april fools but I don't know why they thought he would not continue it on. Why they only 
thought it would be uh, on April Fool's. Um, but I mean, it was a nice bit of tension because as uh, the final people are dying off, they keep showing a clock and it's counting down and Carolyn Monroe's running around trying to escape from Marty. So it, it's kind of an, it it's, doesn't make much sense to us, but it was artificial tension that worked. Yeah, I'll take it. Slaughter High. Also, you bring up April Fool's. Uh, this is filmed in England. Actually, the, initial, the original title was, in fact, April Fool's. Then they found out that there was an April Fool's Day coming to America, so they changed the title to something much more creative and awesome. Slaughter High is available for streaming right now. Regina, see or no see? You know what? I'm going to see it because I always appreciate a slasher, no matter how dumb it is. Um, I think there's still some... At the end of the day, I was still entertained by it. It was dumb, but I was still entertained, so I recommend it. I'm all for B-horror. I love slashers. This one has an amazing title, and it has a great poster, but it's just such a knockoff of a shitty horror movie that you can't enjoy the silliness of it. And there's a lot of silliness in it. You will laugh out loud. There is stuff that, that, that'll that stand out. There are some cool kills in it, but I would say don't go out of your way to watch this. Our second movie this week actually also has an amazing poster. Resurrection uh, actually made its world premiere this year at Sundance. It's a story of a woman who has a very, very, very meticulously constructed life. Uh, Margaret, played by Rebecca Hall, is living her life. She seems to be very successful. Her daughter is about to go off to, to um, college, to finishing school, I believe. Um, everything seems to be going great. And then an old acquaintance re-enters her life. I know that's really vague, but this movie, don't really want to say too much about it because there's a lot going on in it. So spoiler warning, we are going to talk about this movie and we will mention some points, some plot points to it, but we will absolutely not ruin anybody's enjoyment of Resurrection. The movie starts with Margaret running. She's exercising. Uh, but as things go on and we learn more about her, you actually learn that she's running from something. It's really cool. She's running from her past. And I love, you don't get that in the beginning, obviously. You just see a woman running. But in retrospect, as things are, you're learning more about her, I absolutely love the opening. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the running from the past thing. And the running itself seems more like, um, I think it's sort of also like some foreshadowing. Um, that reveals a little bit more, a little glimpse into like some of the stuff she has that happened to her in her life. Um, so sort of like a, this physical um, exertion of her body. Um, and I think that's sort of a really interesting tie-in, I guess. I want to say without spoiling, a tie-in to who she is and who she has been and where she comes from. Well, one of the things that she's doing, you, what you see is a woman who's running very quick. She's dressed in exercise gear. She's obviously taking care of herself, but she, this isn't just a casual jog. I mean, she is going all out on it. To your point, in a previous life, she was put through, uh, she had to perform many kindnesses for someone and they required lots of physical exertion. And she's really pushing herself And what seems like for others would be a casually morning jog 
I mean, she's absolutely going at it. Like she's trying to break a world record and it does add to the, to the movie. Like you said, it's foreshadowing um, not only to what was done to her, but also because the fact that she's absolutely doing everything that she can to get away from the past. Um, but then you get kind of another look at her life. She's very well put together. Her job is very exact. She's very, what's the word, in control so much so. And uh, this isn't a big spoiler, but uh even the affair that she's having, it seems very calculated and controlled. Definitely. It doesn't seem like she's a person who gets um, loses herself in emotions um, or worrying about things that will take her off her track to success. Um, she seems very single-minded on that. Like she's just trying to get from point A to point B and uh, be the best doing it. So yeah, you're right. Even like with the affair, there just doesn't seem to be like much room for it, it is what it is. It's not uh, It's not going to be a problem for her in any kind of way. Yeah, we're going to do what we're going to do. And now you have to go. And it's nothing personal. It's not mean. It's not anything. It's just like, okay, that was that was fun. But uh, I think you got to go home to your wife now. And, and, and she just kind of moves on with her life. The movie, but even in those movie moments, and maybe it's because she is so calculating, calculating sounds like she's conniving or something because she is so in control of everything um there's it it doesn't it's not right almost because she she's so she's so um aloof to everything she's there's no emotion to anything that she's doing so very very quickly in this movie there's a very uneasy atmosphere it very much heightens as things progress and we learn more about it but they do a great job of keeping that atmosphere throughout the entire movie. Yes, it's very tense. And you can see it like with her, how precise everything is about her, her action, her, her life, her actions, um, even her hairstyle. It's a very blunt bob cut. It's like your hair is never going to get messed up like that. Like she's just so like in place for everything. So when things start to become a little disheveled in her life, it really takes a toll and the, and the, tense atmosphere really shifts and it's when things start to even the now the trauma that she had to deal with in the past it is very extreme but even when slight things start to go off it really starts to affect her like it's almost like her response doesn't seem to equate to what she's seen now in time we, we see that maybe maybe it is a little bit equal but um a part of it, I think, is because she has been in so much control for so long that even the idea of use, losing even the tiniest bit of control really throws her off her game. Control is probably like one of the biggest themes in this film. I don't think it's spoiling to say that it deals with um, manipulative um, relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You're absolutely right. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a... It's a it adds to the tension but it also creates a very weird shift in the atmosphere like actual scenery that we're seeing her in if you notice in a lot of scenes she's kind of isolated the building everything she's in her house her office it's so sterile and she's like this one like dot in the whole thing um so when the chaos starts to sort of like seep in it really like kind of throws off the viewer I think and it kind of sucks you into the her world kind of like tumbling around her 
And you talk about a manipulative relationship and this movie works on so many levels. And that's one of the things that I think will engross people. You have the one manipulative relationship between her and the person from her past, and we'll get to it right now. Um, but then you have the relationship between her and her daughter and it's not manipulative, but it's also based on control. And for uh, a teenage person who's, I, I think her daughter's what, 18, 19, maybe she's about to go to college. Yeah. So it's a very difficult situation to deal with. And her mother is so controlling, um, more so than I would say maybe your average 18-year-old mother. I mean, maybe, I guess that that's that's more um, subjective, but uh, the layers of control and who we see it in this movie, I, I think it's a very well-crafted story. The writing of this movie is really good. Like, it's excellent. If, like I said, it's like it feels like she's so alone, but also it feels like a very quiet movie at times. And so any dialogue, it's always there for a reason. It always causes a shift with the character, a shift in the plot around her. Um, and it adds to the uneasiness of every moment. And I think that's a very interesting part in creating the story and kind of like adding more mystery to the background. Because um, the movie kind of like starts to reveal things to you very, very slowly. Um, and it's a very slow buildup to our climax. And the pacing of this movie is so well done. And it's it's pretty funny. Like it, it is a slow build. Uh, no, it's not a slow build. It's a very patient build, but it, everything also seems really rushed almost. And not in the story that it's rushed. I think it's paced very well, but there's a rushed feeling to everything. Like we were talking about, it starts with her literally running down a street. Yeah. It's, it's a very stressful thing. Like when some things start to kind of like go off kilter, it's a, it's like a, it's a very stressful watch. <laughs> um, I would have to say it's kind of like when you're watching Uncut Gems and you can't stay, um, <laughs> you're, you start to kind of feel like edge of your seat that way. The same thing starts to happen. This was a very patient movie, but you can see the movie itself starts to lose patience, like with its, um, with the urgency of the story. I think that a little off topic, I Uncut Gems was a really good default answer for explaining stress, I think, or tension. High, 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 high tension situations. I think the new default, new default will be the bear. But oh, anyway, probably, yeah, for sure, the bear. <laughs> anyone who wants to see the seen the bear, episode seven of the bear is like uncut gems times a thousand. Yeah, this movie it's it's it is slow. It's very methodical and it's patient and it's pacing. But at the same time, things are you're learning things. But that's kind of unraveling slow. But characters are moving quickly and they're making rash decisions and they're rushing to do things and they're 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 acting out of character. And it, like you said, it, it puts you in this like everything's frenzied and unsettling. And as you learn more about her past and her relationship with with David Moore, who who we'll talk about right now. Um, it, it gets very uncomfortable and uneasy to watch. However, you also have a pair of amazing performances, which makes it impossible to look away from. Rebecca Hall, um, she was in The Night House recently. This movie, I think, and she was good in The Night House. She does such a magnificent job in this movie. Rebecca Hall is awesome. Um, the character she played, I mean, seriously, she could probably be the only person on screen during this film sometimes because all the tension, all the panic, all of the sort of like the way she has to like calm herself down. That's all one person doing this. I mean, there, there's some, some some great supporting characters in this movie, but she's taking like the, the brunt of this performance on her own for the most part. 
until she comes across her counterpart. I mean, she's amazing. I mean, the range of emotions in the beginning, we talked about it. She's controlled. She knows what to, she's telling people what to do. She's telling her, her, her lover, her daughter, who co her coworkers, she's letting them know where they need to be, when they need to be there and how long they need to be there for. It's pretty amazing to see. And then as the movie goes on, you start to see that, yeah, she gets really frazzled. She gets really angry. She's making pretty out there decisions. And then she's doing things where you're, you really feel for her. You're, you, you care and you're worried and you're, I was genuinely afraid as to how far things were going to go and what she was going to do next. Like I was really drawn into this character and I absolutely had to see what was going to happen next. Definitely. And I mean, she's working with Tim Roth who plays David Moore. So let's talk a little bit about him, right? Yeah. Um, because uh, I would say in any other movie, all you would do is talk about how amazing Rebecca Hall was not to take away from what a, great job she did in this movie you have this counterpart like tim roth in a, just an impressive resume like i mean you can talk about the tarantino movies that he's done or you can take talk about his parts in uh shakespeare adaptations i mean he has such an impressive resume this is up there in an amazing career yeah tim roth is startling in this movie he is terrifying and charming yeah kind of your skin will kind of crawl when you see him on the movie like it, it's just in the film it, he's a very strange character um the closest I can come to saying um <laughs> reminiscent of anything to me is very much like the character of a uh, Kilgrave and Jessica Jones sort of like that kind of hold he kind of has on people but um it is a it's just a really powerful performance he's by far the slimiest character I've seen this year and not so much in anything that he does uh, per se like even before we start learning about kindnesses and their past and as the story unfolds even before all of that just his mannerisms and the the measured way in which he talks and he's so condescending and patronizing but at the same time, he sounds like he genuinely cares about her. <laughs> like he's he's interested and worried for her. And it's a powerhouse performance. And it's such a great performance because this role, especially where things end up, and we'll talk a little, we'll dance around the ending right now, but especially where things end up in this movie, he very easily could have gone all over the top Nick Cage style with this. But he, he could have chewed the scenery on this and he absolutely downplayed it. And he still was going toe to toe with Rebecca Hall in regards to taking over the screen. Yeah, it's almost sort of like this like weird exercise in who's the coolest <laughs> under pressure. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, he is a, he's a monster. <laughs> and uh, he's like a really interesting character. I think he might be probably one of the most interesting an antagonist in a movie um, I've seen this year. To me, he's like the slimest and, and probably the most memorable one. I yeah. mean, it's it's a really great performance. He's so good. He's so good. And and this, again, spoiler warning, this one, he's so good that as the movie's going, he, he gaslit me. Like, I don't even <laughs> like, he was, it's so good to watch this. And he is so 
calm and like you said he is so terrifying that I would do probably anything that the things that he was asking her to do I was ready to do when I walked out of the theater you would do the kindnesses <laughs> absolutely with I wouldn't question them at least at least I, I give I give Margaret credit at least she questioned it like I wouldn't even I, I would be like young kindness. Margaret <laughs> yeah I would just be doing this kindnesses like it's just such an amazing performance and you know, you you always hear about career defining performance, and like Tim Roth, he's had a long career, and at this point, you're kind of like he can do he can continue to to do great roles, and there'll be standout roles, but um, he's probably already done his career defining uh, role, and then you see this, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> this guy, he might have just put on the best performance of his career ever. So we're, we're, we talk about how the performances are really are really strong. We've talked about the story. It is carefully paced. I, I, it it has a natural build. It's um you can say it's slow, um, but then it gets to this very chaotic ending that becomes almost grindhouse in nature. I'd say the ending is to me. Now we, we've talked about speak no evil on here, and I think I still think that that's the most memorable ending i've seen the most powerful ending i've seen but the ending for this one was by far the most shocking one i've seen this year it obliterates the complete sterility of the rest of the movie that's for sure it comes out of nowhere it really does like there's no way i don't think anybody can predict that this is the ending that they would even as it's building up to it like and i'm talking like the final two or three minutes even as it's leading to it and things are happening even then I was like, okay, it's not going in that direction. I had no idea what was going to happen, but I didn't think we would get what we saw. And you know what? I, I haven't been that surprised by a movie in quite a while. And I was, I was laughing, but it wasn't like, oh my God, that's, I was laughing in disbelief at what I had just seen. And I was, I was very impressed by it. Yeah. It was one of those where you really can't believe your eyes. Like you're like, wow, it's really gonna, it's really gonna go there. <laughs> And it, and did. it, it, it did. Awesome. Yeah. And, and it's against the tone of the rest of the movie. It's against how, because the, the, the last, those moments, they're very chaotic. They are all over the place. It's wild. Nothing like the rest of the movie, which is laid out for you. And um, it kind of, I guess, gives you some, well, it does not that they're clues. It tells you what the issue is, but there's no way that you think it's going to go in this direction. And it's pretty wild. And in spite of this wild ending and this, you know, the crazy things that lead up to it, I think possibly the best thing about this entire movie is through it all, it actually tells something of a grounded story that has this really, it has a realistic feel to it that I think is probably its biggest draw. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 a relatable story. I mean, people are manipulative in, in real life. People have these weird power struggles and these tense situations and um, a lot of people also, I think it's very normal to act like super in control of all the things that you can control when things are spiraling. So no, I think that's also what draws you into Rebecca Hall's story. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a relatable story that maybe not everyone has gone through, but they know someone who's gone through it. They just use a, an over the top, um, example of it or a such premise for it but i think it gets over the story and the theme so very well so resurrection 
It's going to be in theaters. It's actually in select theaters right now. And uh, it's going to be on on-demand and digital. Uh, probably as you're listening to this, you can actually go out and find it. So I will throw it over to you. See or no see Resurrection. Absolutely see. And I would recommend seeing it as soon as possible. If you can rent it, watch it right now. Because once that ending gets out there, I don't think it's going to, can't put that back in the box. So see it as soon as possible. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, it's an amazing movie. You absolutely have to see it. One of the best of the year. Uh, the poster is so great. As you mentioned, the ending will get out there. The first thing it says on the movie is a, is a, a quote from a review that says a gonzo final act. So there you go. But yes, Resurrection. Absolutely go out and see that. Every weekend you can find us here. We are a part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network where they have a number of horror-based podcasts along from ourselves. Uh, let me do that again. Every weekend you can find us here. We're a part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network where you can find all sorts of horror-themed podcasts, including our own. Um, we have an open review policy. So if you have any ideas for anything that you would like for us to cover, let us know. Drop us a line. We will talk about... Gonzo Final Axe, Slaughter High, uh, even found footage. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Adventures in Movies. You can also find Nathaniel on Instagram at Adventures in Nathan. You can find Danny on Twitter and Instagram at Default Player. You can find Blake on Twitter at Four Eyed Horror. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at Danger Chavez on Instagram or Reg Chavez 1127 on Twitter. And next week, one of those horror-themed podcasts will actually be joining us on the show. Uh, Candice and Ariel from the Not That Final Girl podcast will be back to talk movies with us. You can find us on the Apple Podcasting Network. You can find us on Spotify. Everywhere you can find the best podcasts in the world, you will be able to find us. You can also go to Morbidly Beautiful. Wherever you listen to us, make sure to give us a rating or just tell a friend to listen. And that's our cue. We will talk to you next week. Bye.